0: I want to thank you all for the invitation. It's such a privilege to be able to minister behind your pastor's pulpit. I don't, of course, take that lightly. It's a blessing to be invited. I was very honored when he had asked me during conference. He was like, hey, would you come? And I was like, of course I'll come. Uh, You got a great church, a great congregation here. Um, But praise God. Amen. I was asking, I heard that y'all were having a picnic yesterday. And I was asking, uh, I was asking one of the brothers here. I was like, hey, uh, y'all had the picnic right?" He was like, yeah. I was like, I could feel the volleyball tension in the building. Hallelujah. I asked him who won. He didn't give me an answer. Hallelujah. So I don't think he won. Hallelujah. But yeah, it is a privilege to be here this morning. Let's get straight into the gospel. Matthew 10, 33 through 37. I want to believe God to minister this morning. I had already had a sermon that I was prepared to minister Uh, throughout the week I had been praying and then I just felt God lead me uh, in a different direction what I had in my mind that I wanted to preach uh, uh, all of a sudden uh, my heart began to go in a different direction Uh, I don't know why but if I believe if God is speaking he's going to speak to somebody this morning because I do believe in the Holy Spirit and I do believe that he works on his own time you and I will never figure him out as long as we try to figure him out Uh, if you figure him out you've just met a nut hallelujah because you can't figure out The Holy Ghost. And so we want to uh, uh, look in the gospel this morning, Matthew 10. We're going to be reading uh, verses 33 through 37 uh, this morning. I read a article a while back. Now, it's not a new article. It's actually an old article, but it was about a successful family. This family lives in Alabama. The parents' names are Kip and Mona Lisa Harding, and they're both 53 years old, or they were 53 years old, at the time of this article, they have 10 kids. And they homeschooled all of their children. But here's the crazy part. Out of all 10 of their children, all of their children graduated high school by the age of 12. Some of y'all 23 and still ain't graduated high school, hallelujah. (laughs) I don't know you. if that's you, I apologize. Please don't come up, don't, don't shoot me. Uh, I know I'm back home. I know how we get. I know how we get in San Antonio. <laughs> I'm born and raised here. I actually went to Roosevelt High School. Is this Madison country right here. Yeah Yeah, okay, I'll stop. Yeah, right here. Uh, Roosevelt, come on. Somewhere. But all 10 of them graduated by the age of 12. Now all of them are rocketing forward towards their career of interest or study. There's even a book on them called The Brainy Bunch. I was thinking about this story because what an accomplishment this morning. I mean, if we go, go back to the days that you and I were 12, what we were doing at 12 years old, I guarantee it wasn't graduating high school. But if we look at the picture of this family because they had a portrait of this family, all 12, all, all uh, what, 10, 12, 12, 10 kids plus two parents up, uh, All 12 of this family and they were there smiling. Uh, They seemed to have joy, they had the victory. And this article was talking about how uh, many would have looked at this family and said, this is the perfect family. They had this genuine joy. My question this morning is, is there such a thing as a perfect family? Once again, if somebody says yes, you've met another nut. We're going to look at the scriptures this morning because I want to look at the issue of the perfect family. And since there are no perfect families, I had to entitle this the dysfunctional family. Because that's all that really there is, is dysfunction. We want to look at the Bible this morning about what the Bible says about dysfunctional families. Make sure we don't judge too quickly this morning. We want to look at the Bible, Matthew 10, 33 through 37. The Bible says this morning, whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword for I've come to set man against his father, daughter against her mother and a daughter in law against her mother in law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves his father more or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are, O God, this morning. I thank you uh, for this privilege to minister your word. I pray, O God, that you would speak in due season, minister to your people, help your church, O God, and grant us revelation from heaven, my God, as manna to the Israelites. God, I pray that you would bring a life uh, and a light in the darkness. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. So first of all, let's look at the family this morning. Let's remember first of all that the family is not man's idea. The family is God's idea. And if the family is God's idea, then it is also true that marriage is God's idea. That when God wanted to illustrate his love for people, he would use the picture of the husband and the wife and parents and children. This is why you and I call our God our father. He is our Father God. We don't believe in Mother Nature around here. We believe in the Father God in heaven. We believe that God has an identity. He is the great I Am. And Jesus says even to pray, beginning with the words, Our Father in heaven, Matthew 6, 9 through 10. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Paul even paints a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. And he relates it to marriage he says regarding marriage men ought to love their wives and he even speaks this in the bible Ephesians 5 25 the bible says husbands love your wives just like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her It's very interesting that when you want to understand the relationship between God and his people, uh, he is going to use the idea of the family. He is going to use the father in place, a mother, children, husbands, wives. And when the Bible is trying to help people understand God's love for his people, he is going to use the family as the greatest illustration. Ephesians 5, 23-24, for the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as a subject, uh, the church is subject to Christ, let wives be under their own husbands in everything. So you have number one, husbands have to love your wives like Christ loved the church, that men have to love their wives. This is a command, this, I mean, some guys are like, you lucky the Bible says I gotta love you, hallelujah. <laughs> then there's some ladies, you lucky the Bible says I gotta surrender. Because the Bible is trying to say something this morning. Then it gets to the children, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, a very common uh, 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 boot camp verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother and your father, which is the first commandment with promise, that it might be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. You know what that means? If you disobey your parents, you die early. (laughs) I'm just reading the Bible this morning. It says that you might be living a long time. That whenever God wanted to bring home a point, what better illustration for him to use other than the marriage and the family? The brethren are compared to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible speaks this too as 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2, uh, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older men and older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. That it talks to the church about how uh, the opposite section Treat each other that uh, we are not a touchy fellowship. That our young men don't walk around the church hugging all the girls. This isn't high school this morning, this is the church in the world. Everybody's so used to hugging, give me a hug, give me a hug, uh, and everybody's uh, and then they come into the church, uh, and there's not that culture. It's where you treat each other with respect. That you honor this because the Bible says be careful how you deal with one another. Not only is it a, a father and wife or a, a husband and wife issue, a father son, father daughter, mother son, mother daughter relationship, uh, brethren, brothers, sisters. Listen, uh, when God is trying to help people understand the kingdom, He is going to use family, marriage, and relationships uh, this morning. That the natural family is the greatest picture of the spiritual family and this is because God made it that way are you with me so then let's talk about the non-perfect family then because if God's idea of family is perfect if God says this is what it should be if God is going to ordain a family and say you know what in the eyes of God this is a perfect family what could we say that is everybody can have their own opinion You want a perfect family? Stay married. That's a great start. You can't get more perfect uh, than when a couple just simply says, uh, you know what, we're going to work this through for the sake of our destiny, our children's destiny, our salvation, our spiritual help. Uh, We are going to stick this out. We are going to wait it out. Uh, We're going to wait on God. Uh, You know what, we are not going to compromise. We are not going to separate what God has put together. uh, And that's the beginning of perfection right there because the rest is going to flow down. But if you look at the non-perfect family, we could all say that's probably us in some sense. In our text, we read one of the most dysfunctional verses of Scripture regarding the family as a whole, and it's a picture of a family that's divided. It's a family that's not fully functional. Do you know that the only family in the Bible, the only family, not man, the only family in the Bible that would have been uh, considered close to perfect in the Bible was Noah's family? you ever considered that? Not even Adam and Eve and their kids were perfect. We think of an Adam and Eve, we think of their fall. You think of Noah, you think, oh, he saved the earth. He saved the animals. No one ever ever really ever thinks of Noah's sin. But why? Because he was perfect in a sense. His family, uh, there was something about this family that God set apart and said, you know what, if I'm going to reprocreate the earth, if I'm going to start over with man, this is the family I'm going to choose. In other words, uh, every other family got the short end of the stick. Isn't that a bummer? Hey, man, we tried, man. Come on, we're good, too. You're not Noah's family. You're not the champion this morning. Everybody else lost, and Noah's family was the one that stuck out uh, as the one that stood above the rest and said, No, this family is perfect. These are the type of people, when I'm sorry that I made man, uh, when I'm sorry that I made creation, this is the one that I'm going to start over with, uh," and that family tells us something this morning. God chose Noah's family to be spared from the judgment of the flood, the only family to have this reputation. Think about it. Adam and Eve brought a curse to all mankind. Abel and Cain, you got the first murder. First jealousy. Abraham and Sarah conspired and bore a child outside of the promise. Isaac and Rebekah favored their children. Isaac favored Esau. Rebekah favored Jacob because he was a baker. Causing lies and manipulation within the home. Their sons were a mess. Jacob and Esau, one was a manipulator. The other one was bound by his appetite. Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers, on and on and on. Dysfunction among the family. Even the close to perfect family fell into a trap one day. Noah and his family were chosen because they were different than the rest of the perishing world. But let me tell you, that didn't last long. Because as soon as this righteous family gets off the ark, uh, Noah blesses his children. And by the end of Genesis chapter 8, God makes a covenant with this man. Uh, It's called the Noahic covenant. uh, But right there in chapter 9, verse 1, it says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And then the Bible says uh, that Noah, when he gets off the ark, he starts a new trade. He becomes a farmer. uh, And he starts trying to cultivate the land. Uh, The Bible says he actually makes a vineyard, uh, starts to drink of his own wine, uh, gets tipsy, passes out. His sons then see him uh, naked there on the ground Uh, one son specifically named ham comes across him sees his father like oh my i mean come on now dad dad he passed out last night dad what did i do (laughs) you don't want to know and because of ham's mistake because ham didn't cover his father the bible says his son canaan is cursed These are the Canaanites that were going to one day be later driven out of the promised land. They were the opposition to the children of Israel. All of this curse and all of this dysfunction coming from a family that God had great promises for. But because somewhere along the line, sin was entered, uh, somebody made a wrong decision, invited a curse, uh, that curse goes down to generations. So why is there dysfunction, church? Why is there dysfunction in family? I'll tell you why, because people are dysfunctional. There are causes to dysfunction this morning and I wanna take a moment to look at a few. Before we do, let's define dysfunction. By definition, dysfunction is simply not operating normally or properly, deviating from the norms that is in a way that's regarded as bad. Now, all of us would be like, I don't need you to define dysfunction, Pastor. I know what dysfunction is. But dysfunction is connected to very specific elements in the Word of God. The Bible exposes this for us. Dysfunction is a consequence to particular issues that when you see dysfunction, you got to realize there are underlying causes to dysfunction. That something else is happening beneath the surface when you see dysfunctional issues. Many people immediately just make a judgment. How many know uh, people that when somebody is uh, dysfunctional, makes a mistake, uh, maybe keeps falling, people like to diagnose them. Well, it's because of this. It's because you grew up this way. It's because your family. It's because your parents. Because uh, uh, what side of town you went on. It's because of this. It's because of that. You diagnose people as somehow that you got them all figured out. This happens many times in marriage. Husbands and wives are constantly diagnosing why their spouse is the way they are like they know better than God We tell you why you are the way you are well you're bad you didn't see it before we got married and people can think they got this all figured out I stopped diagnosing my wife a long time ago when I realized I'm not God but the truth is there is something happening beneath the surface When there is dysfunction, and we have to pray that God would expose it and help us uh, get rid of it or change it. So what causes dysfunction this morning? I hope I'm not losing you today. But what causes dysfunction? I want to look at a a few of them here. I got three of them that I believe things that actually cause dysfunction. Because dysfunction can actually be a cause of other things. Or dysfunction can be a result of other things. That things can happen in your life because you're dysfunctional or... You can be dysfunctional because other things are happening in your life and in your heart. And that's what we want to look at. I want to look at dysfunction as a consequence and not a cause. And if it's a consequence, then it's a consequence of a few different things according to the Bible. Number one, rebellion. Rebellion causes or equals dysfunction. How many parents we got here this morning? Can you remember a time where Your baby was real little, and they were innocent. And then as they started to get older, things started to get harder. Maybe a little bit of rebellion in the house. And dysfunction started to... Man, things were so smooth when you were like two. Me and your mom were never fighting. We never saw things differently. Uh, We never argued about things. Uh, And now uh, as they're getting older, rebellion sets in. Rebellion is invited. Now, all of a sudden, there's all kinds of dysfunction. What happened to you? You used to be so, so innocent. And all of a sudden, dysfunction. What happened? Well, rebellion has caused dysfunction. That when they start to rebel against their parents and they, the, the way the home normally runs the smoothness of everything something began to get in their minds uh, and they began to disrupt everything in that house Uh, it wasn't the fact that the mom changed the house changed it's something was introduced in the school something was introduced online that caused the rebellion that equal dysfunction equal dysfunction where'd all this dysfunction come from let's trace it back to the first time you went to that website when there was rebellion you have to find out where these things came from because rebellion equals or will create dysfunction hebrews 13:15 says while it said today if you will hear his voice then do not harden your heart as in the rebellion This is referring to when God told Israel to take the promised land. This is what the rebellion is referred to. You'll often hear of the rebellion. Do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. What this simply means um, is when they were in the wilderness, God told them, go take the promised land. Uh, I want you to cross over the Jordan. Uh, I want you to enter in, uh, drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites. Uh, I want you to take everybody out. They sent out the spies to see if they could do it. Ten of them came back saying we couldn't. Only two said we could. uh, And so they didn't take the promised land. uh, And because of that, uh, they were forced to walk around in circles in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, That was not the promise of God. Though God did meet them in the the wilderness, that didn't mean that wilderness was the will of God for their life. God had to now compromise and take care of them in the wilderness. Why? Because they rebelled. When God said, take the promised land, they said, we're not going to go. And now the author of Hebrews is saying, do not harden your heart as in the day of the rebellion. Meaning going all the way back to the first time that the Israelites rebelled against God. Way back when they were first delivered from Egypt and Pharaoh. They were delivered by the hand of Moses. God's like, yes, you're my people. You ready for a challenge? Yeah, God will do anything for you. Take the promised land. No, we can't. Well, I just delivered you. Didn't you see me separate the Red Sea? Yeah, but those giants are kind of big. We can't go. No, no, you're going to go. No, we're not going to go. Send some spies. Check it out. Yeah. Ten of them said we can't do it. Two of them said we can. What are y'all going to do? Nothing. But I'm telling you to go. Harden mm, heart. I'm going to harden my heart right here. And we're not going to do what you say to do. We're going to rebel against our Maker. And because of that, it equals dysfunction. Now, uh, they could have just simply, if they would have just listened to God, they would have stepped into the wilderness. God would have said, go to the promised land. They would have stepped into the promised land. But all because they rebelled, now they're walking around in 40 years uh, in the wilderness, wondering, God, why did you bring us here to die? We're thirsty. There's no food. It's cold. And God's like, okay, that's why you weren't supposed to stay here. Because it's cold and there's no food and it's barren it was just a temporary time of you getting to the promised land but because you rebelled you're walking in circles and it equals dysfunction what about curse curse is also equal dysfunction has any mature christians here come to a revelation that you have curses in your life things that you didn't realize you had until God began to expose, uh, these are things I got to deal with. Earlier, I talked about the husband and wife diagnosing each other. I know many husbands and wives that say, hey, you're cursed. You got issues. You got real deep mental ways of the way you think. You just ain't right. But it takes a very mature Christian to start to look at themselves and say, I think I got me a couple of them old curses, too. God begins to expose those to me. Why? Because curses also equal dysfunction. Genesis 9, 24 through 25. Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son Ham had done to him and said, Cursed be his son Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brethren. Now we know the descendants of Canaan, as I mentioned earlier, are the ones going to be driven out of the promised land to the point where God actually had to command Joshua to go and annihilate all of them in the book of Joshua. And so we know that it wasn't fair for Canaan to have to deal with this curse. But because of curse, there is now dysfunction in Canaan's lineage. The Canaanite people are now dysfunctional because of a curse that their ancestor Ham had did. Because what Ham did, now the descendants of Canaan are now dysfunctional they're like where did all this dysfunction come from because we're going back to a curse generations ago somebody better figure out that that curse is alive and start to deal with it it's gonna come down to one person in that lineage uh, of people that they're gonna get saved and by the grace of God he's gonna break a curse uh, that can be decades or generations long we know that a generation is about 40 years somebody's going to have to get a revelation say you know what i'm going to let god break the curses in my life because if i don't guess what dysfunction continues dysfunction continues what else last one you know what else causes dysfunction godlessness when god is not invited when God is kicked out of the equation, there's dysfunction. Can you say the public school system? I remember I, I grew up here in San Antonio. I, I went to uh, my first elementary school. I lived on the southeast side. I went to P.S. Stewart, uh, right there off of, of Pecan Valley. Kevin knows. Then my dad got us out of the southeast side. We went to the northeast side. I went to Wilshire Elementary. Then I went to Kruger Middle School, Falcons all the way. We won a championship football, seventh and eighth grade, come on now. Not me, I was out of shape. I couldn't play football, but, but our team, our Falcons all day. And so, <laughs> then I went to Roosevelt all four years. We won a championship in ninth grade, hallelujah. Graduated in 1999. They say the best for last. But I'm going to tell you what, school is a little bit different than when we went. I remember going to school and we did the Pledge of Allegiance all together in the cafeteria in the morning. I remember God wasn't an evil thing in school. People weren't mocked for bringing up God in school. Now you're mocked if you think a guy is a guy. Now you're mocked because you simply look at creation the way it's meant to be. And now somehow you're weird. It's called godlessness that when God is kicked out of the equation, it's gonna lead to dysfunction. And that's what you're seeing today. My wife was telling me that the K-12 program has absolutely exploded in the past couple years. Exploded. Parents, Christian and non-Christian alike, are pulling their kids out by the groves to say, I'd have a better chance of teaching my own kid than having them be indoctrinated by the school system today. Because of godlessness, when there is godlessness and God is subtracted, it leads to dysfunctions. Romans 1, because they knew God, they didn't glorify God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. They knew he existed. This wasn't a fact that they didn't believe in him. They believed in him, but they kicked him out. Yeah, we know you're real, but you have no access to this. Yeah, you're out there somewhere, but you're not invited into my family. Therefore, we're going to push you out. You're going to push God out. Therefore, you have godlessness. And because of godlessness, there is dysfunction. Now, oh, we don't want God in this situation. No, no, God, you're not welcomed here. Take him down. Take down the Ten Commandments from the courtroom. We don't want any recollection, any recognition of God. And when you have that church. You have straight up dysfunction. See, if there's godlessness in the home, there's going to be dysfunction. If you just subtract the creator from the creation, you're going to end up worshiping the creation. What a shame when babies uh, have to be voted for in the right for the right to be born. What a shame. What a shame that we have to vote. We have to ask the opinions of people. If that baby should live what a shame Uh, in this state are these babies gonna live I don't know ask the people see what the majority says if the babies in that state get to live ask the people what they think God doesn't care what you think because of godlessness in a country there is dysfunction All the way till the most precious, most safest place for an unborn baby in that womb where it is supposed to be a a set aside, where it is supposed to be most protected, where it is growing literally, coming to formation. That place is violated by a tool. Because you take God out of the equation in any realm, you will end up with dysfunction. Come on now. all these things dysfunctions manifest in a family and somehow families have to deal with it any family members here just feel like i just i just don't care anymore i don't care anymore anybody ever said i'm done i'm done then you're not really done i thought you were done i just had to go blow off some steam I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm taking off this ring. You're lucky I put on 20 pounds in marriage because it won't come off. Can't get done. Can't get. I can't. I can't be done. Got this white tan on my skin. Even though I tried to be done, I couldn't be done. I got this. this, this. My wife said, "You're scarred for life." Hallelujah. Let's talk about the perfect family then. Because there is hope this morning. And the hope is families can still be perfect. What? You just got done talking for 35 minutes about how we cannot be perfect. How dysfunction is real. Yeah, but let's look at something else this morning about the reality of the perfect family. Because uh, perfection doesn't mean uh, no dysfunction. When you look at the word perfect in the Bible, it is Christ-like. This means you can have dysfunction but still be Christ-like. This means God can still live in your home, and you might see some dysfunction, though. What do you mean, Pastor? It sounds like, a, like you're hypocritical thinking. Okay, let's go to the Bible once again. Matthew 10, 34 through 37. Jesus says, Don't think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. I've come to set a man against father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law, against her mother-in-law come on somebody the famous famous daughter-in-law mother-in-law battle make every man flee to the bathroom and a man's enemies will be those of his own household a man's enemies are going to be those of his own household for he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and whoever loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me Jesus says, I am the one bringing the sword. I didn't come to bring peace. I am bringing a sword. That sword is going to be felt within the household. That he came to earth, but his aim, guess what? Was to bring division in our house. He came to bring division in a family. To split the household this morning. In other words, uh, division and dysfunction. These things in a home were not always the devil. They were the spirit of God. You ever consider that? That when the Spirit of God got inside of a home, it caused all kinds of dysfunction. You could have a house perfectly healthy in sin without God. God joins the family through one person getting saved. And all of a sudden, the whole family's in a ruckus. We used to have our lives Everything was just fine until uh, uh or Ehar or mom or dad went and got saved at the church. Uh, and now that they got saved, look how everybody's crying in the fellowship, in the family affair. Now he comes to the, now he comes to the birthday party. Everybody know he's a Christian. You feel that tension. Just like you, you felt that volleyball tension this morning. You feel it like, you know, there's people. I can't, I can't look them in the eye. I, I, I tripped them last night when we were playing volleyball. Anybody here argue with the ref? Anybody here debate one call yesterday? I went out of bounds, man. Oh, I've been there. That's what I'm saying. I ain't a prophet. I've been there. I lived it. I've been everywhere. I've been the ref. I've been the complainer. I've been kicked out the game. <laughs> I've been everywhere in the volleyball game, all right? Ran the bracket. when you have division dysfunction at home it could be God doing it when you have a house with dysfunction because God is now involved he is bringing dysfunction in frustrating that family into perfection that's what he's doing one person gets saved, uh, starts to bring that into the house, uh, starts to come on in, starts to serve God, starts to do that. And at first there's dysfunction beyond dysfunction uh, because that's what Jesus does when he gets into somebody's heart or he gets into their home or he gets into their family. He begins to turn things around. I never, I love the story uh, where Jesus goes into the temple, uh, sees the money changers there, and he throws that holy tantrum, hallelujah, the most holiest of all holiest uh, tantrums. He throws the table over uh, and, and begins to rebuke the people. I thought Jesus coming into the temple. I thought it was supposed to be Hosanna in the highest. Lord Jesus, we bow at your feet. Hear the palm leaf. What are you doing in my temple? Boom! Everything was perfect. We had our people over here selling. We had the market over here. uh, Everything. We were just waiting for Jesus to come. That's all we were missing. And yet Jesus says, I'm not coming for peace. I'm bringing a sword. I am going to frustrate all of your normal everyday activity. You're welcome. Man, God, everything was so—everything was so much better before they got saved. Yeah, you know why? Because when they got saved and went back home, God came to the house with them. Begin to bring division, frustrate this family. Uh, now, it, 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 one person says, "I don't want to sin anymore." Now the family's all uh, going through all kinds of stuff now. All because Jesus is now in the picture. Yes, we both know that the church is ran by dysfunctional people. How many say amen? A people who every day got to fight their flesh. Sometimes we lose. Sometimes we say something we shouldn't have said. Sometimes we take a shot we shouldn't have taken. It's because we're flesh, that's why. People could still be battling some curses this morning. Some people can be battling rebellion even. But thank God as believers, the reason we're different is because we're not godless. Because God is in our lives. No matter what we do wrong, no matter sometimes how far we go, God is still there. He brings us back. He deals with us. He convicts us. Sometimes he might convict us w- weeks later. Sometimes he might convict us at a conference. Sometimes he might convict you as soon as you said it. Can you say marriage? Any husbands or wives here ever apologize, like right after you said something like, that's why something, sorry. (laughs) Knew that was a soft spot. I knew, I knew I should not. Don't talk about it, don't say that thing. When God gets in, listen, if you decide, you know what? In my home, we're not gonna be a godless family. We're gonna have issues. We're gonna have dysfunctions. Kids are gonna rebel. People are gonna get sick. People are going to talk about us. People are going to offend us. We're going to offend other people. But at the end of the day, we're never going to get to the point where we say, God, you're no longer invited. As long as he stays invited, there is hope for that family. This is why the enemy wants to get you out of church, especially if you're the only one serving God in your family. He said, the devil wants to get you out of there because you're the only hope for that family. You have to keep fighting. Let me get ready to close you know the family in my opening illustration the harding family they were a very impressive family but you know why they're really impressive to me not because well i mean i mean it could be it could just be because of that i mean you have 10 kids graduating by 12 that's that's super impressive like that's that's impressive but even more than that because they interviewed this family and when they, or, they interviewed this family, these are, some, these are three comments that they made or three things they talked about. I summarized some of them. Number one, they said that they raised their kids to believe if it's your calling, then God is going to help you achieve it. If it's your calling, then God is going to get you to it and God is going to see you through it. Whoa, wait a second. You mean to tell me that this 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 family who uh had 10 kids graduating by 12 they were christian yeah they were christian born again read their bible went to church raised their kids in the things of god uh, and yeah we look at oh man they graduated by age 12 uh, the the real story here is they taught their kids about god and said uh, anything in your life if you're going to be successful you better make sure god's involved They raise their kids to believe if it's your calling, God is going to help you achieve it. That's one of the ones that blew me away. Another one, the wife said, my husband teaches our kids to work first and play later. Work first and play later. Teach them to do their chores. They do a Bible study together. Every day they read the Bible as a part of their curriculum. So along the way of graduating at 12... The Bible was also a part of their daily curriculum and reading. Hey, I want to be an engineer. Okay, great, we're from 10 to 10.30 is Bible reading time. Do we think that this family actually had no dysfunctions? Absolutely not, they, of course they had dysfunctions. Come on now, if you're gonna whip 10 kids into shape to graduate by 12, you're gonna have some dysfunction. There's gonna be some frustrations. Because that's not the natural kid. But this family said, no, 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 through it all, God's going to be a part of it. It's simple. We're not going to compromise that. The third one, our philosophy on raising kids comes straight from the Bible. Learning goes far beyond what happens behind the desk. In other words, if you're going to learn something, it's not just going to be in school. It's not just going to be behind that desk at at some public school. It's going to be through the word of God. It's those three things right there, man, that. God really was impressing me more than just the kids graduating early, that God was going to be in, involved in their life. You know, my daughter, she plays soccer. She plays soccer. She, she loves playing. And, and uh, when she started to get involved in soccer, I told my daughter, hey, look, we're going to get you. you know, you're going to pay for the school. You're going to play for this league. You're going to do all that, um, except the games and practices can't be on Wednesday and they can't be on Sunday. My daughter said, that's fine, dad. That's not a problem. She was nine nine years old when she started, or eight, and she's 10 now, been playing a couple years, and so, uh, you know, but in her heart, she loves to go to church, she loves to, to be involved, and it's like, no, but and, and I'm like, look, hey, and then there was another league opening up, and we're looking at it, oh, man, the practice is all Wednesday from 6 to 8 at night. It's like, oh, uh, that's, that's not going to happen. My daughter's like, oh, yeah, we have to find another one, because my daughter understands if you are going to be a success, you don't put God in the back burner behind the world huh, and worldly pleasures. You better flip that around, because if you do not, you will lead yourself into dysfunction. you got to put first first. We're out there in Houston, man. Soccer is like a whole culture out there. It's real. I mean, the family's just all day there. And I and where is God? There is no God. Godlessness. You're going to raise your kids, teach them some of this. That, hey, hey, look, we're going, to, we're going to make a way for you. We want you to be involved. We want you to be happy. We want you to do this. Uh, but work with us on the other side. And you have to help us put God first. Because as soon as we start kicking God out, there's no hope for us. Joshua 24, 15, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You all know that scripture. That's a household declaration. Somebody in that house better say we're serving God here. We're not kicking God out of this. If you're not the leader of your home, then you better serve God for your own benefit and your own heart. If you are the leader of the home, then you better get some clarity and say, God, what do you want me to do? And how do you want me to lead this family? Because if we cut you out of this, there's dysfunction for life. Only Jesus can turn it around. Let's bow our heads.